this year since there were two services, we thought that we could, one, eat, we like eating, and two, uh, we could do it afterwards and be a lot more casual about it. So if you want to come back around 11.45 to 12 and eat lunch with us, we'll probably start telling you guys what happened last year and what we're looking for this year. Have a lot of fun, celebrate some things. Probably start that somewhere around noon, noon 15, something like that. The other thing I need to tell you about is Christy and I are doing another DNA Thursday night. It's been in the bulletin and on Facebook and some things, but you may not have caught it. So DNA, a DNA is a date not accelerated. It's for pouring into marriages. And so if you are getting ready to be married or you are married or so forth, we're going to be talking about intimacy. Don't freak out. It'll be fine, okay? All right? In fact, it might help. I'm just saying. So uh, Thursday night, Christy and I are, are doing that. So if you want to come, text DNA, the letters DNA, to... Um, uh, 307-224-4404. Steve, can you put that, that, can you go to that slide that has uh, that number on it? Just text DNA and I'll let you stay, let that slide sit up. If you do it right now, uh, just let us know you're coming. We'd love to have you. I promise you it will be a great investment of your time. So DNA to this number that's going to show up in about half an hour or so. The great thing about coming to this service is I don't actually, I just realized this morning, I don't actually have to be done until about 11.30. And I am fired up today. <laughs> oh, man, I tell you what. So this, uh, God's been doing some things in my life. I've been asking him to. I, I encountered a passage in a sermon a few weeks ago. Um, will that one get it? Yeah, there it is. That number's at the bottom. A passage in Exodus 33, and, and I taught on it a little bit about Moses encountering God and, and, and the goodness of God was what I was focusing on for that text. But this, I mean, God is just, I can't remember, someone made me look at it again. And, and I'm going to be making you look at some things in this series, okay? And challenging some things. My goal, my goal in this, this three-sermon series is that when we're done, you walk out of this place knowing your champions, knowing your victors, knowing that you are world changers in this house, okay? And so this, but this is what's kind of started, just got this path going in my life. Exodus 33, 13, Moses is praying to God. Now, this is the same Moses who has already seen God tear Egypt apart, man, and tear all the gods of Egypt apart. And he's seen him part the Red Sea. And, man, he's seen deliverance on a scale you can't imagine. And not only that, I mean, he talks with God face to face. And in this one talk with God face to face, Face, Moses says, and this is Exodus 33, 13, and I don't have a slide for it, so just forgive me on that. Um, but in Exodus 33, 13, Moses says to God, he says, If it's true that you look favorably on me. How many in this room know that God looks on you with favor? You can't outrun the goodness of God. Did you know that? I tried to yesterday. I tried to outrun the goodness of God, but he caught up with me. I had to come back from Casper yesterday, and they're closing roads all over the state. I missed every one of them, totally by the goodness of God. Came away home. I'd never come before through Shoshone. Who goes to Shoshone? No, I'm just kidding. Came through Shoshone, missed every road closing. They all closed behind me, and I'm sitting as I'm coming down off of a South Pass, I'm going, you just cannot outrun the goodness of God. It just can't happen. So Exodus 33, 13, he says, It's true that you look favorably on me. Well, let me know your ways. Let me know your ways so I may 
Um, so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor and remember that this nation, this church, this, every Christian in this community, and remember that this nation is your very own people. I want to know your ways. I want to understand you. And I just want to remind you that we're your favorite and that we're your people. And so God comes back in verse 14, and the Lord replies, and I didn't even see this till this morning. He says, the Lord re replies, I will personally go with you. I, the, the God of angel armies that we just sang about, will personally go with you. You can't get alone. Isn't that what David said in the psalm? He said, I could go to the depths of the grave and you are there. Wherever I go, you can't get it. He says, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. And everything will be fine for you. He'd say everything will be fine. Man, some of you guys are looking at some not fine right now. I want to know his ways. So I, because everything is going to be fine when I understand. I read that text and I, it changed my prayer life. Because before that, you know, I'm asking God to bless, I'm asking God to move, I'm asking for the presence of God. Now I'm saying, God, I just want to know how you do stuff. I want to know your ways. I don't want to walk through life oblivious to how you move, Father. And so that's what I've been praying for, and God is teaching me, and he taught me newly in a new way yesterday that you just cannot outrun his goodness no matter how hard you try. So this series is about living in a, in a different way. Um, one second while I look at my technology, I bless you in Jesus' name. <laughs> Fix you. Be right back. Very strange. All right, we're back. So this series is actually about repentance, which I'm going to talk about in just a minute. But it's, I want, I'm going to explain it to you in a way you probably haven't thought of before. And, um, well, I hope you haven't thought of it before, or at least if you have, I hope you can amen me when I get to my explanation of it. But we're going to, to look at, an, at, at living in a new way, walking down an old path. And the old path is repentance. In this series, we're going to learn to live in the same kingdom that Jesus lived in, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to learn to live in the same way that Jesus lived next week. And in the third week, we're going to learn to live in the same victory that Jesus lived in. Does that sound good? Yes. Will you, will you think, think you want to? Amen. Sue, we'll do it. Just you and me, we'll do this. You guys want to do that? Does it sound good? You're like, well, I don't have a choice, do I? <laughs> Amen. That's correct. You don't. No, I'm just kidding. So as we, as we jump in this today and we think about the kingdom of Jesus, I want to I lay a foundation of an idea, an old word called repentance. Huge usage in the eight, late 1700s, 1800s, very popular word in, in America. Not so much uh, from about the 1850s to the 1950s, but it's making a resurgence. The word is coming back. And what does it mean, and what am I talking about when I talk about repentance? And, and I'm showing you this old path, this Bible idea that's going to lead you into a new life, into a new victory, into new joy. Would you like some joy? I would like to bring some joy today if I can. So when, and, but usually when you hear the word repentance, you're like, oh, well, when we talk about repentance, that means we got to be sad. we got to be depressed. we got to be blue. And that may be the case. When you realize that God has so much more for you than you've ever lived in before, yeah, that might make you sad. 
But you know what you do with sadness? You face it. You experience it. You grieve it. You let it go. And you walk into your new day. How do I know that? Because it's exactly what Jesus did. He lived. He suffered. He died. We grieved. He rose again into a new day. Okay? Does that make sense? All right. So, so we're going to learn about this kingdom. And so repentance is several things. The main thing I want to present to you is that repentance is a choice. Uh, repentance is a change. And repentance is a lifestyle. And so let's talk about that choice. When I was a kid, I remember that first time I heard that poem by Robert, Robert Frost. You know, two roads, this is the one line all I remember. The two roads diverged in a wood. And I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. We're all somewhat familiar with that line of poetry. And so when you think of repentance, think of it as that fork in the road, that choice that you have to make. And every one of you, by the way, is going to make a choice today before I'm done. You're going to choose which kingdom you actually want to live in by either actively choosing it when you leave or by passively not choosing it when you leave. Either way, you'll make a choice. And so repentance is actually making a choice to, to do things. And the Bible is just big on helping us realize that you just have to make some choices. Repentance is also a change. When you, when you come into a new understanding, get a new mind about you, which I'll talk about in just a minute, it produces a change in the way you think, the way you believe, and then the way you live. Now, that's the sequence, by the way. If you change what you do without changing what you believe, you're just faking it. You don't, you, you're a hypocrite at that point, and it will not last. And by the way, the gospel of the kingdom is about changing the way you and I believe. Jesus said, or God said, through Paul in Romans 12, 2, he said that you're going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The things that you think have to change. And the things that you believe have to change. Jesus said, in, or the, the gospel says at the end of Mark 16, that, the, that all of these things, signs, wonders, miracles, salvation, baptism, discipleship, all these things follow those who believe Believe. Believe drives behavior. So repentance is a choice that leads to a change, a change in thinking, which we'll talk about probably in just a second because I forgot the order of my slides. <coughs> Excuse me. And, and uh, I've got some definitions here of what repentance is. I'll just go to the Oxford de definition. I'm just going to read one. I've got several. Repentance is the activity of reviewing one's actions and feeling contrition or regret for past wrongs, which is accompanied by a commitment to change for the better. That's the dictionary definition. I'm more concerned with the, the Greek word it comes from. Because in, in, that, in that language, so you've been, I've heard repentance defined a lot of ways, to a change of direction, to turn away, a change of mind. And the Greek word, which I think is pronounced metanoia, 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 let's see, if I can mess it up, you can too. I just gave you freedom right there, okay? Don't worry about that. Uh, it just means to think differently, or after, think differently or afterwards, to reconsider, to change one's mind. Uh, the writer of Strong's clarified that by saying to repent is to change one's mind for the better, heartily to amend with the abhorrence of one past sins. Um, uh, repent. Uh, penthouse. What's a penthouse? 
It's a, it's, it used to be a shed on top of a high building, but now it's a fancy apartment, okay? comes from the French, okay? High view. Repent is to change your mind to a higher mind. Does that help a little bit? It's to move from lower thinking to higher thinking, okay? And so when we talk about repentance, we're talking about moving into higher thinking. And I'm just going to roll through some scriptures right quick because I'm going to run out of time so fast. Um, 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that, that God wants everyone to repent. And I'm not going to read the scripture, but it's on the screen. Make a note of it. Go to you version. You'll see all the scriptures on there. Proverbs 28.13 uh, 28, tells us that repentance, uh, people who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn, them, turn from them, they will receive mercy. So we should repent about sins in our life. Confess them. Open up about them. Why? So God, God, because God wants you to feel guilty? No, because God wants you to be free. And the only way to let go of something is to, to face the thing and, and admit that it's there and so forth. Uh, God tells us about repentance. Paul talks about it in Acts 17, 29. I will read this one. It says, and since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmanship uh, from gold or silver or stone. Here he's quoting Old Testament. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone every, everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. So God wants us to change our mind about the idols that we worship. Uh, and I know you're sitting there going, well, I don't worship any idols. Okay, God wants us to change our mind about all the other things that we worship that are not him. Okay, pretty simple. Those are, that's a simple definition for, for idols. And then repentance is also about changing your mind. So, yeah, change your mind about God. Realize that he's the only thing worthy of worship. Repentance is also change your mind about Jesus. So Acts 2, 38, Peter replied, Each one of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So repentance is a big issue. I just want to draw that out. God talks about it a lot. It's a choice. It's a change that leads to a lifestyle. You learn this old path of repentance. You will never have to be enslaved to bondage again. As soon as you find yourself enslaved to something, you can turn into this old path of repentance and be free. All right? You don't have to sit there and do penance. You don't have to sit around and just feel bad for a year. You don't, have to spend, you don't have to waste another day feeling sorry for your past because it's all in the blood of Jesus. Stop being defined by your past. Start being defined by what you were created to be. That's what repentance is about. It's changing your mind about that. You know, by the way, the past can't hurt you. What's hurting you is your conclusions you've drawn about the past. Not the past. The past is over. It's done. And the enemy showed up in those moments of pain, or your, your weak nature showed up in those moments of, of failure and accused you, and you believed him, and he built a stronghold in your mind. And that belief you formed, that conclusion you drew, that's what's wrecking you. Does that make sense? You tear down the stronghold, 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and you'll be free of your past. Okay? But that's another sermon. I told Michael before church, I got 12 sermons in my head today, and I'm going to preach all of them. <laughs> Just kidding. <clears throat> you guys don't think that's funny. All right, so, so let's look at Jesus for a minute and look at the kingdom that we are looking toward, okay? Um, 
Jesus lived in a world very different from ours. Wouldn't you say that? I mean, you think about the world 2,000 years ago, and you go like, I mean, he was probably like on iPhone 1. I mean, he, he probably had to ride a bike to work or something, you know? It was a different world, okay? And, and so what I want you to realize is, is um, that, yes, it was a different world, but don't assume it was less broken than your world. Okay, And I think that sometimes we look at the things of the past and we just kind of, you know, think that may, maybe it was, sometimes we look, um, what's that word, you know, like with, with joy on the past thinking, oh, it would have been better to have lived then. Well, talk to my parents. If my grandparents were around, you could talk to them. It wasn't easy living then either, okay? Jesus' world had lots of challenges to it. it had lots of health problems. You know, the average age of an um, adult male in the Roman Empire was 30. That was the lifespan. The average lifespan of an adult male in the, in the Roman Empire was 30 years of age. That's not, not very long. Now, yes, a lot of people lived longer, but they had a lot of death, stillborns, birth, death as children. I mean, this is an age before surgery. I mean, the only kind of surgery then was battlefield-type surgery, you know, where they Yank the arrow out, boom, and now you've had surgery, you know, that kind of thing. Um, Jesus is a Jew in Israel, which is under the rule of Rome, and Rome was not nice, was not kind to Israel. The idea of crucifixion, I mean, we know about Jesus' crucifixion, but, but tens of thousands of Jewish males were crucified on crosses. That was a Roman persecution just on Jewish, Jewish people. So, I mean, it wasn't a good time. I mean, there were lots of scourges. And then there were the zealots, the, the Jewish zealots. They were like the domestic terrorists of their day. They were like, yes, the Messiah is going to come back and deliver us, but we don't mind causing Rome some pain while we're here ourselves. And so they would attack Rome and rob Rome and create, actually end up creating more problems for the Jewish people. I mean, that's just kind of the, the world we lived in. And then you've got Rome. Rome has got major problems by the time Jesus is in the world. I mean, we are headed into decline. I mean, we've got some centuries left, but it's just... Everything that, that caused it to fall is happening while Jesus is on the earth. So if you think that Jesus lived in some kind of sweeter, simpler time, then that would be wrong. It was, it was just as broken then as it is today. There were economic challenges. That's why Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 is so significant. I mean, they didn't have refrigeration. They didn't have a lot of ways to preserve food that we have today. They didn't have near as much fake food as we have today, but that's me being a whiner. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, so Jesus feeding the 5,000 was a, was a huge deal, you know, and kind of his stepping into just the, 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 some of the economic challenges of the day. They had poverty class, middle class, wealthy class. They had the unemployable. They had the insane, the diseased, who couldn't work. I mean, just, just a lot of challenges in Jesus Christ's day. And, of course, we already kind of hit on the, the political problems of the day. I mean, Jesus, you know, I used to think Jesus really didn't have a lot to say about politics. And then I realized that the two times that Jesus cleaned out the temple, that that was actually a hugely political statement. He was standing against the Sanhedrin, who were supposed to be for the Jewish people, but were actually just robbing the Jewish people. And so... Jesus' world was very different than our own. And so if Jesus lived in a world that was different than our own, i got to look at Jesus and i got to ask myself, how did Jesus deal with it? Now here's where I'm going to turn a curve. And I'm not coming against anything in particular. I just want to show you the light Jesus shined 
in a world that was broken. And here it is. It's in Mark, Matthew chapter 4. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. Now, we read that and go, well, yeah, Jesus was a preacher. What I want you to hear is this. Jesus' answer for a broken world was the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus' answer for a broken world, if you're taking notes, you should write that down, was the gospel of the kingdom. Say gospel. I like to use the word gospel because no one knows what it means, and I get to define it. And yes, it means good news. But it means so much more than good news. And when I talk about the gospel, I'm not just talking about hearing good news that you won the lottery. And I don't know that that'd be good news anyway. But I'm talking about the good news of the kingdom specifically. And that's why I use the word gospel. Because that's what it's referring to. Good news of the kingdom. Why does this matter? Well, guys, if Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom and you don't know anything about living in the kingdom, you've got a challenge before you. No wonder we're struggling living the Christian life because we don't know what it means to live in the kingdom. Many Christians made a decision for Christ, went down, got baptized, and they started asking God to help them live in a broken kingdom. And what God sent Jesus to the cross to do and die for is to transfer you out of the broken kingdom and put you in a new kingdom. Michael, do you have a verse for that? I do. <laughs> and I don't have a slide for it um, because I have a slide for many other verses, but not this one. Colossians 1.13. Write it down. Colossians 1.13. God, for he, referencing God, Colossians 1 has rescued us. Say rescued. rescued. God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. I would like to suggest to you that we live in a broken world just like Jesus, but we also have been transferred into a new kingdom that he created by his life, death, resurrection, ascension, and return and sending of the Holy Spirit, he has created a new kingdom. And so you and I live in a broken world from a new kingdom. I'm, a, I'm from Tennessee. It comes out a lot of times. You hear the southern twang. I speak banjo at home. <clears throat> it's funny to me. Um, my wife's from Kentucky. <laughs> And I'm not going to talk about her. She's not here to beat me if I get it wrong. And so I'm, I, I grew up in a different culture. I came from a different place. And at first I, I came to Colorado, spent four years there, and I've been in Wyoming 16 years, and I love this place. This is my home. I've been to, to Mexico, and I've been to Jamaica. I've been to these different cultures. But there will always be this vein through me that's Tennessee volunteer state you know I don't even care about football I know that's like sacrilegious to say today 
but uh, on Super Bowl Sunday. But when the Titans got in a, a couple rounds of getting in the Super Bowl, I, you know, I'm from Tennessee. I got a little excited because they weren't even a team when I left Tennessee. You're not from here anymore. You're from another kingdom, and you're strangers and foreigners living in a broken world. That means you live under a different culture and a different set of laws. We got to get that fixed in our thinking. Because we keep asking God to help us get along in the broken kingdom when that's not our job. We need God to help us change the broken kingdom and infect it with the place that we came from. You hang around a southerner long enough, you'll start to speak banjo too. It's true, right? Some of you probably already used y'all just from all the southerners you know in your life. My point is, is that we are to bring the influence of the culture that we've been saved into into the world that we've been rescued from. Amen? Amen. I thought that was pretty good. It was from the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.19. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting. Oh, my goodness. You hear this? No longer counting people's sins against him. Man, that's how the kingdom works. Man, no more. Oh, okay, I'll move on. So, so we are Christ's ambassadors. We. Does that mean that we no longer hold people's sins against them? Sorry, that's another sermon. Just thought I'd throw that out there. <laughs> so we are Christ's ambassadors. And God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. When we plead. Come back to God. Boy, that's our life right there. That's what it means to live in, from the kingdom, man. To walk in this world and, and basically your whole life is a, is a plea. Come back to God. Come on. You've messed this thing up. Everybody's messed this thing up. Just come back to God. Man, if we could just live with that idea. I mean, maybe we should actually say that, you know. So, how are we going to learn about this kingdom? And, and, and so, I, I've got, I got so excited when I found this verse I'm about to share with you. Because, you know, we look at Jesus, and man, he, he's the ideal, he's awesome, and you should totally think that way about Jesus. But we often forget that Jesus was also example. I mean, yes, he was ideal, but he's also example. And Jesus said this in John 5, and when, when I... I, I don't know how many times I've read this verse, but just like a couple months ago, I read it, and I'm like, Boom! Really? So John 5, here it is. I'll read it to you. It's on the screen. It says, the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he's doing. Well, when you read that, you realize the Son's in you, and you should just revel in that. The Father loves the Son. The, Father, the Son's in me. The Father loves me. But I'm, I'm getting distracted. <laughs> Father loves the Son, shows him everything he's doing. In fact, look at Jesus rolling out the facts. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. This is Jesus, man. And then you'll be truly astonished. This is Jesus starting this ministry. Okay, and he's healed somebody. Now, before that, he'd turned water into wine and turned that wedding into a big deal, you know. And so now he heals a guy, and he tells the guys, listen, man, Father, Father is showing me, and I'm learning, and this, what I did, I know I'm Michaelizing this, please forgive me. What I did, that was cool. But I'm here to tell you, Papa shows me everything. 
Papa shows me everything, and, and I'm going to do much, much more. Do you, I want you to understand something. Jesus was learning the kingdom as he was creating it. That's what I want you to hear. Jesus was learning the kingdom as he was creating it. And so, yeah, he turned water into wine, and he raised up people who were lame, and he opened blind eyes by spitting on them and making mud, and, and, and he would... People could touch his garment. Some passages he would walk by and his shadow would accomplish things. I mean, all this stuff. Then, then he starts raising people from the dead. He shows up in a funeral. If you want to have a funeral, don't bring Jesus, man. Anything could happen. Jesus shows up at funerals and there's no funeral anymore. That, my, favorite, my favorite resurrection story is actually the widow of Nain. He walks in the town of Nain, having a funeral. This widow's burying, she's burying her, her, her income, her son, her hope for the future. She's, she's about to bury her son, and it's, she's just ruined and devastated. And Jesus walks in, and his heart breaks. I just, that's what God is like. Have you ever thought about that? That God looks at your misery, the suffering you're going through, the persecution you're enduring, and his heart just breaks because Jesus is a perfect representation of the Father. And so Jesus walks in, his heart breaks, and he says, funeral no more. Papa showed me how to do this. And he walked into that, st that story, that terrible day, and it went from terrible day to awesome day. And now we got no funeral anymore. Now we have a rebirth because Jesus showed up. But, of course, the biggest resurrection other than his own was Lazarus. Lazarus had been dead for four days. Now you're like, well, one day, ten minutes, four days, what's the big deal? Well, it's not. But in the Jewish mind, after the third day, the spirit stopped hanging around the body. And so Jesus wanted to make it, wanted to help them understand a, a fact that he is the resurrection and the life. That he is the resurrection and the life. So he raises Lazarus from the tomb. And, and, and so all of this he grew into in the kingdom. So here's the thing. If Jesus had to grow into the very kingdom he was creating... Shouldn't you and I expect to do the same? When you are born again, you're born again. You don't hand your newborn baby the keys to your car and say, hey, take yourself off to get a job. It would be nice. No, I'm just kidding. Babies are sweet. It's not until they're later that we want them to go get a job, like two or three. <laughs> So you and I need to realize we have a lot to learn in the kingdom. We have a lot to learn about, about bringing the kingdom and being from the kingdom in a broken world. And that's where repentance comes in. That is a high belief. That is an idea that's way up there. Because most of us are living way down here. We're going, oh, Jesus, just get me through today. And Jesus is there going, well, I'll get you through today, but you do realize that this is the best day ever, right? This is the greatest day ever. Why? Because you and Jesus and the Father and the Spirit are all in the same day at the same time. You understand that, right? They've been waiting for you to get to this day. 
They've been here the whole time. They know everything today is bringing. They've seen it. They know it. They've been here waiting. And now you're here today. And how many days do we get to? And they, they wake up in the morning, man. They're sitting on the edge of our bed. Isn't that what Dave said last week? Go, oh, it's going to be a good day because you and us, we're together today. And we're like, oh, I got to deal with that boss. My wife doesn't like me today, I'm pretty sure. She doesn't like you any day. <clears throat> but she loves you, so be patient. In that day, you show up, and now we have opportunity for kingdom to come. So expect, expect God to be in you today, and expect the kingdom to come out of you today. Oh, thank you, Father. Amen. Thank you, Father. I got several other scriptures, but I'm going to jump over a couple, and I'm going to get into this last idea. Jesus had to grow in the kingdom we have to grow in the kingdom. And so I want to challenge you, as I'm challenging myself, to live in the world you've been saved to and not in the world you were born in. I want to challenge us all to live from a different place. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. <coughs> Excuse me. You'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And that's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink, enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Jesus presented this reality. You've got to make a choice. You can choose to serve in the rules of the world and the kingdom of darkness that you were born into, or you can choose to live from the kingdom that God created through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can choose to live from the place you've been saved into rather than the place you were born into. It's a choice that you can make. And I know it's a, it's a challenging choice. It's difficult for us to, to think of how we might live differently. But this is what it means to be a Christian. It's about learning to live from heaven on the earth rather than live on the earth with the occasional heavenly boost every so often, which I think is how we tend to do it in our own strength. And so you have to make a choice. And so you make a decision today. Which kingdom am I going to live in? Darkness or light? Kingdom of possibilities or kingdom of the impossible? Kingdom of hope, kingdom of despair. And I know you're sitting there going, well, why would anyone choose despair? Why would anyone choose darkness? Why would anyone choose fear? I have no idea why anyone would do it, but we do it all the time. Don't we? And so let's, let's make that choice. Let's start. It starts with a choice. You're like, well, I don't know if I have enough strength to make that choice. You're right. We'll get there. Just, just you got to start with a defining moment, man. You, some, something's got to draw your line in the sand and say, dude, from this day forward, I'm living in that kingdom, and when I fail, I'll get up right back into that kingdom. If, if I miss it, if I, I, when, as soon as I see that I've missed it, I will aim right back toward it. Do you, you understand? That's the choice that you make. Say, so, well, I don't have any willpower. You don't need willpower. You need a line in the sand right now. That's the choice you have to make. That's where repentance starts. We start with a choice. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man... Oh, listen to this. so good. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. And when he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. So we draw that line in the sand and we make that choice. Now we're talking about the way it changes us. Now repentance is starts with a choice and then that choice, which takes us into a higher frame of mind, changes the way we live. How does it change it? Well, here's Jesus saying, man, Michael's words here, the kingdom is awesome. I mean, the kingdom is like a guy who found a treasure in a field. And when he found the treasure, he got so excited, he reburied the treasure, bought the field so he'd have legal right to the treasure. That's the choice, by the way. And then he went and got the treasure, sold everything he had, sold every worthless thing he had, but I'll, I'll come back to that. To get the treasure. It's like a, a pearl merchant who found the most valuable pearl he'd ever seen. And, and it was so valuable in his heart that he sold everything he had, every worthless thing he had, so he could have something of true value. This is what changes us. What changes us is when we can get our, our brain, our heart, our beliefs into a place where we can see the true value of the kingdom of God. And we realize that it's worth everything. Worth every worthless thing in our life. And so I have to ask myself, and I don't know what you do with this, but here's what I have to ask myself. Michael, what is the kingdom worth? What is Christ worth to me? What is heaven worth to me? What, what is heaven? You ever, you ever ask yourself what's heaven? Because you, you, you may not like how I feel about it. It's okay to be wrong. Um, <laughs> heaven is... Heaven is the presence of God. You know, people talk about, I don't know, I seriously did a funeral for one guy one time, and his family really thought he was in an RV cruising heaven, and that was his et eternal rest. And I'm like, have you ever em emptied a black tank? That doesn't sound like eternal rest to me at all. <laughs> Just kidding. Heaven is the presence of God. And so I'm like, if heaven's the presence of God, then why am I waiting to go to heaven? I mean, why not just enjoy the presence of God? Man, last night, I was Saturday night, I like to listen to YouTube worship videos because I love the commercials. Just kidding. Too cheap to pay the 12 bucks a month without them, you know. And I, I don't know how it happened, but I fell on a 15-minute version of Waymaker. <laughs> now, you guys who know music know a 15-minute song. That's a dandy. <laughs> a 15-minute version of Waymaker. And I didn't know it was 15 minutes till about 12 minutes into it. I'm like, man, this is, I was having a great time. And by the time it was over, I wished it had been longer. It was such, such a good, good time with the Lord. His presence is good. Let me ask you, what's that worth to you, though? Is it worth every worthless thing in your life? Have you ever considered that that is what it means to be saved, is to, to let go of all the worthless things so you can have stuff that really has value? You know, sometimes we delay in our surrender to Christ. We delay in turning to him because we're like, well, I want to keep this bad habit. I want to keep this sinful relationship and all this kind of stuff. And, and then you, when you finally let that stuff go and you make that choice, you draw that line in the sand and you, you, you look to the kingdom, you realize, well, all that stuff was junk. That stuff had no value. And so what's it worth to me? And so I began to think of things. And here's, this is a Michael, this may not mean anything to you, but boy, it wrecked me. It was like God was saying to you, well, what's it worth to you, Michael? Is it worth your theology? What you think about me, God, 
and how I do things. I'm going to tell you something. For a guy who's been preaching the Bible for 25 years, I'm kind of attached to my theology. And here's God, because I'm praying. told you at the beginning, I'm praying, God, teach me your ways. Well, just because you got good theology up here doesn't mean you have good beliefs down here. Did you know that? You can have good theology and terrible beliefs. There can be a big distance in that 18 inches between your head and your heart. Another thing he asked me, he says, Michael, is it worth your pride? I'm like, well, God, are you calling me proud? He didn't answer. He, he let that one bake. He didn't have to. That's right. He didn't have to. That's right. He let that one sit. I mean, really, is it worth uh, being the one to apologize in the broken relationship even when it wasn't me who did the wrong in my mind? Is it worth that? I thought I'd put some skin on that for you. Is it worth losing your pride? And here's the one, this, the one I hated the most. <laughs> is it worth your dignity? Now, I know I'm country, okay, and pretty simple guy. But you can ask my wife. There are things in life I just don't do. I don't dress up on, like, Halloween costume parties. Mm -mm, don't invite me. Not going, all right? They're just things that I just don't do. I don't mind acting goofy, but I don't like to look stupid. I'll be stupid, but I don't want to look stupid, okay? And I, I can't, I won't even go, I don't have time to go into the, to the meeting I was in where God asked me this question. said, Michael, is it worth your dignity or is it worth anything? And he, and he brought up that picture of David. You, some of you know which one I'm talking about. David, and he's bringing the ark back into Jerusalem, and he strips down to his skivvies, pretty much, and he's dancing like a fool. That's how you know David wasn't a Baptist. He's dancing like a fool, <laughs> preparing that altar to come into town. And, and his wife, Michael, who actually is a Baptist, <laughs> said, you made a fool of yourself. You made a fool. You lost all your dignity and, and before all the, your, your subjects. And, and David said, I'll, I'll be more undignified than this in one translation. I'll be more undignified than this. And I'll be honored in their sight. Because it's God's, it's God's ark, the presence of God, the forgiveness of God. That's what I'm ushering in. And it, once you realize that this is about his glory and not yours, you'll realize your dignity really doesn't mean that much. Amen. Amen. So what's it worth? And I, so, so the choice and the change, and, and of course I have done it again and gone longer than I needed to leads to a different lifestyle. If you were to read in Isaiah 11, and I have to go quick here, if you were to look in Isaiah 11, <coughs> which I can't go to uh, right now because I can't find the particular slide, but in Isaiah 11 it talks about the, the kingdom being a place of no violence, a, a kingdom, a place of victory, a kingdom where all the nations come to, to God, return to God. Speak of that kingdom. And you tie that that image, that heart you have about heaven in your mind where it's the presence of God and you begin to realize that I am from a place that is, is not here. I am from somewhere else and I represent that somewhere else. I am an ambassador of that somewhere else and in that I am inviting people come back to God. So now I am moving into from a choice where I draw that line into a sand to a change where I realize that the kingdom is worth everything into a lifestyle now where I'm, I'm just like let's bring the kingdom into this moment right now. 
And I start asking myself, and this is something I've been doing over the last several years. I'm like, what would it look like right now if heaven showed up? I'm, I'm talking to someone who's grieving. What would it look like right now if God showed up? If Jesus plowed into this moment, what would that look like? I'm talking to someone who's sick, someone who's got disease, someone who's dying, someone who's heartbroken, someone who's just out of a broken relationship, someone who's homeless, someone who's angry, some, you know, someone who's just a vile person. And I begin to ask myself now, instead of like, oh, I'm out of here, check out, now I'm saying, hey, what does it look like if heaven shows up here? Because that's where I'm an ambassador of. That's my job now. That's my lifestyle. I am in a room right now, and I'm, I'm going to say this, and 99.9, probably all of you are not going to believe what I'm going to say. I am in a room full of of overcomers. And all of you have read the scripture. Most of you have read the scripture and your theology agrees with me, but your heart just screamed, but I'm a loser. I'm a failure. You don't know my past. Well, that's all lies. That's all part of a broken kingdom. Jesus Christ died on a cross for that, and God took the blood of his son and expunged that. God couldn't care less about your past. He cares about what he's created you to be, and you are defined by his future for you. And that's what it means to live from the kingdom. I stopped looking back. And I start looking forward. And in this room are overcomers, champions, victors. In this house, this morning, and I know you may be facing something ugly, something questionable, something doubtful, something hopeless, something that brings you despair. And that's all, that, that's all this world will ever give you. You understand that, right? It's the kingdom of darkness. Even when it looks like it's light, it's going to go dark on you. That's all this world has to offer. But there is another kingdom that Jesus died to create, returned via the Holy Spirit to fill you with, a kingdom that is God, that is love, that is joy, that is peace, that is hope, that is light. That's the kingdom. Now you choose right now, you choose one way or the other, which kingdom do I want to live in? And you know that that choice means either I walk out of this place in darkness, ignoring my future, ignoring what I've created to be, and I stay in the kingdom of darkness, or I walk out of that door in hope, ready to learn the kingdom of light. Amen. I got to be done. I could preach three more sermons, but I, if we can just begin to see ourselves living from the kingdom we were saved into, it would radically change our lives. I'm in a room full of radical people. I know I got to be done. I heard a guy say something this weekend that wrecked me. He said, our people in our churches have too many challenges in life to have a pastor or leader who doesn't believe in them. And I said, God, I don't want to ever again focus on anyone's negative moment. I want to be the guy who believes and I believe in you. I believe that when I read the text about Moses 
Yeah, I believe that that verse is intended for me, but I want you to know that it's also intended for you. Some of you, when I read it, you thought, well, yeah, you're the pastor. Sure, it's for you. And what I'm here to tell you is, no, you're all Moses. The promise is for all of you. You know why? how I know this? Because actually all the promises are for Jesus, and Jesus lives in you, and in Jesus Christ all the promises of God are yes and amen, every single one. And so, yeah, I'm in a room filled with world changers. And I pray that we all walk out of this place this morning with the power and the strength and the choice and the change and the lifestyle that says, I am going to change my world. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I hope you have said so much more than I did. I hope you're, I, I know that your presence showed up for several people. I know you set people free. And Lord, I know that some may need prayer, and I, I pray that they will get it. I pray that no one will walk out of this place just trying to try harder, trying to do it on their own. But they'll let me or Michael or Steve or one of the leadership team or some of the prayer team over here on my right, they'll let someone pray the kingdom into their life. I pray they'll do it during this song. They will not wait. And thank you that I can't outrun your goodness. Thank you that you love me and you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.